You are now listening to a Providence Community Church podcast. For more information, please visit ProvidenceTX.org. Jesus Christ, amen. So, uh, we are in a series called Out of Bondage. We've been going through the book of Exodus. We've been discussing God's covenant with his people and how he rescued them out of bondage. It's a great story in the Bible. And so our text today will be found in Exodus chapter 13 starting in verse 1. So I'll give you a moment to turn there. Uh, If you didn't bring a Bible this morning, we do have some in the seat pockets in front of you there. You can grab and follow along. Uh, And if you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to keep that and take it home with you. And then it's also going to be on the screen or your phone, wherever you read it, as long as you get the Bible up and ready, that's good. So once again, Exodus 13, uh, verse 1. If you are able this morning, if you stand with me for the reading of God's Word, we're going to read together. Providence, hear the word of the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Abib you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites as he swore to you and your fathers and shall give it to you. You shall set apart to the Lord All that first opens the womb, all the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asked you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning. Welcome to Providence. My name is Cordon, one of the pastors here at the church. Uh, I just want to say thanks so much, especially if you're a first timer. Thanks for making us a part of your week. We're glad that you're here. Uh, like Eric said, we just got done with a men's conference, so I'm supporting my Providence men's shirt here, just supporting the crew. All right, I had a good time. Uh, if you weren't able to make it, I would just encourage you, you know, try to get to a men's meeting, get there next time. It was awesome. Um, like Eric said, we're continuing to work through the book of Exodus. Uh, but before we jump in, I wanted to make a quick announcement. If it is your first time, I'm just it's going to be about, I don't know, five to seven minutes of little family talk here just because this is the best, uh, 
I guess, a venue for us to be able to talk to all of our members uh, in a short period of time. And, and it's really good news, a great announcement. And so if you're a first-time guest, we typically don't do this. But um, if you're a member here, then you remember last fall, we got up in our members meeting and we talked to uh, all of our members. And, and if, you're, if you're unaware and if it's your first time, you probably are. You know, we, we purchased some property in 2000 and early 2021. I think that's right. Uh, down the, down the road in, uh, on Timber Forest, so right down here, for us to potentially, hopefully, build a building. You know, because this is a leased space for us, and so we're not only we're having some space issues with, issues with our kids, but also as our kids get older, we're having some space issues with our students, and so we don't really have a place for them to be. And so I can go on and on, but we needed to have uh, our own space, and so we purchased that land in the hopes that we could uh, begin building. And and last fall, I got in front of our members and said, the first step for us is going to be paying off uh, the property. And, uh, and so we needed, I think, uh, at the top end of, you know, $400,000 or something like that and said, Hey, this is going to be our first step. And, and, and so as elders, one of the things that we wanted to do, um, is you're always in that tedium between the Bible's explicit call, uh, for the people of God to be generous. And so to not be shy about that, that that's not just a, you know, we don't tip God. This is a part of our Christian, our Christian faith. And then on the flip side, but also the privacy that the Bible calls us to, that it's a spiritual act of worship. There's a, you know, Jesus says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing kind of thing. And so you're always in a tedium as pastor. How do you do those things? And so in the fall at our members meeting, we said, what we want to do as a starting line is we gave out pledge cards that were not to be returned to us. And basically this was a pledge to the Lord with your family. And what we said was, what we want to do is just, Let's be sacrificial, let's be cheerful, and, and, and let's trust God, and let's see what the Lord will do amongst us. And so we kind of talked a little bit about how this is not about a dollar amount. In fact, none of the elders want to even see that. What we want to see is for you to kind of put that before the Lord. And, and with parents, we said, sit down with your kids and talk through this. You know, sit, sit down with your kids and say, hey, you know, what, what might we forego in order to do this? Why are we doing it? What are we excited about? How are we going to celebrate when God shows his faithfulness? And we heard a lot of really awesome stories about that, and we raised... Uh, a, a pretty good portion of money over the course of the fall. Um, but the big thing was for us to see just the faithfulness, what will the Lord do? And about four weeks ago, I was approached by a member family at Providence um, who came to me and said, we feel that the Lord has put it on our hearts uh, to give $100,000 towards this project. And to, but, but the key is to ask the church to match that. So for all of our members to match that. And I was blown away and I've heard of stories like that, but it's like stories of unicorns, you know, I'm like, when did this just happen to me? You know, I don't feel like this is supposed to happen to me. Uh, the history of Providence has not been that those kind of things happened to me. Um, and so I was shocked, brought it to the elders. And for whatever reason, there was unsettledness four weeks ago about bringing it immediately. And I didn't understand why. And it wasn't until last week as right before our elder meeting that I got a, another call from another member family who had not talked to this member family and said to me, we feel like God has put it on our hearts to give $100,000 and for the church to match. <laughs> and I, I was okay, I feel like, the, I don't know what to say to that either. Uh, other than, um, well, I, I kind of wanted to lay this out for you. Well, from what we raised in the fall, that would, if we matched, that would pay the land off, those gifts plus our matching, almost exactly. And um, I just wanted to bring that before you for, for two reasons. Number one is, and we'll talk more about this at our, at our building vision meeting, which is going to happen on Saturday. If you're a member here, if you can make it, please do. Um, but very briefly, 
number one, every dollar that's going to be given to the one fund, I wanted to be sure to get in front of our church and say, this is what it's going for. It's going to start stacking up that matching of this 200,000 if we can meet it. And I wanted to show you that this is two members, church, the rest of us are going towards this. You know, this is just two member families. The rest of us are going to do this together in order to try to match this. But the main thing that I wanted to bring to you is the Lord is faithful. You know, in the fall, we did this and we said we were going to do it privately. And we said, hey, we're never going to talk about this on Sundays. And if you've been a guest here for a while, you know, I I didn't talk about any of that pledge stuff in the fall. So we're not going to mention it on Sundays. It's just going to be between us and our church family. And uh, we're going to watch God move. And he has. (laughs) And he showed himself faithful. Um, And he did so, I think, uh, which is really amazing, through the members of our our church. You know, and and, uh, there's no big eyes and, and little U's in our church. There's the people of God. And so uh, I wanted to bring that to you to say, let's celebrate. How amazing is that? And then number two, that let's believe that God can do that and do that quickly amongst all of us to match that so that we can begin the process of potentially breaking ground on our property to have uh, our own space down the road. So anyhow, that's my announcement. I just wanted to share that with you guys. Uh, And then what I'd like to do together before I get into the text is let's pray and thank the Lord. Let's give thanks to God. And, and, and let's do this every time we get opportunities to do this because I'm blown away by the generosity. Here's the other thing. Both of these member couples made sure that it was clear they wanted to be remain anonymous, um, which is, you know, just amazing to hear. You know, it's, it's about the Lord and his glory. And so let's, let's honor them by honoring God. So let's pray together. Oh, Father, we come before you with grateful hearts. I thank you that as your word says, that if we, were to, we are to test you in this, as Malachi says, that you are so faithful to throw, up, throw open the windows of heaven and pour out your blessing. And that it's not on the basis of our behaviors or how good we are, but on the basis of your character and your goodness, your love for your children. I thank you that you love our kids more than we even love our kids. You love our students more than we even love our students. You love us, my God, more than we can fathom. And so I just thank you. Thank you for your generosity, Lord. Thank you for your wonderful mercy. And I want to thank you, God, that it came through the hands of your people, that you moved on the hearts of people um, to be generous like this, to be sacrificial. And so we do pray, Holy Spirit, that we would open our hearts to know how we might meet the moment and, um, and be obedient to you so that we could celebrate. And we look forward to it. And And then lastly, Father, I pray that as we open up your word today, that our hearts and our focus would be on our worship to you, to to glean and to understand and to know um, who you are and what you've done and who you've called and created and saved and sent us to be. And that, Lord, we would be encouraged this morning in and through your word. We pray in Jesus' good name. Amen. Amen. That was a good note to start on, right? All right. Let's start with Exodus chapter number 13. Okay, um, I'm going to read verses, uh, I'm going to do, let's say, uh, verses 1 through 10, and then I want to talk a little bit about it. It says, The Lord said unto Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and of beast, is mine. And then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Abib you are going out. 
And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give to you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you. No leaven shall be seen with you in all your journey. And you shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And that shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes. And the Lord of the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord brought, has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. Okay, so we're going to be talking about two uh, Old Testament ceremonial feasts and, and ceremonial laws. Uh, if you remember last week, we came on the, on the well, I'm coming on the back end of Eric talking about it, one of the majors, Passover. We celebrate it, whether you know it or not, every single year as Christians, when we talk about Holy Week, we're talking about Passover. You know, we focus heavily on the resurrection because for the Christian, it's the resurrected Christ that is the hinge pin of our Christian faith. But it's at the cross that Christ paid the price, and that's the Passover. But the unleavened bread feast is, is kind of the second half to the Passover. It's kind of two feasts in one. It's a, it's a feast that God gives here alongside the consecration of the firstborn, which is attached to Passover. If you guys remember, the Passover plague was that the firstborn would die unless the blood was applied. And that the only thing that distinguished Israel from Egypt was the blood. That was it. And then God follows that up by saying, and now from now on, you will consecrate to me every firstborn, man or beast that comes from the womb. You will consecrate unto me, which means set it apart to me. This means there'll be a sacrifice of the animals and then he makes a way where the sons will be redeemed, which means there'll be a price paid, but the sons will be kept. We'll talk a little bit about what that is. What I want to focus on is a lot of times there's two ditches on each side of the road that we fall into when we read Old Testament texts like this. On the one hand, we might say something like, these old feasts are meaningless. You know, they're, they're uh, antiquated, they're outdated. Jesus has already kind of, he's fulfilled that. We don't even need to worry about it, right? Um, I would say that's short-sighted. Um, yes, Jesus has fulfilled these feasts. Yes, that's, that's a central focal point but it doesn't mean we toss these aside. The other side is to say exactly what you see here is exactly what God still commands and we should still observe it uh, as it currently stands, you know? And so we're, you know, secretly in our backyard just trying to slay some animals or something, you know, do, you know, Peter's after you. you know, those are two ditches on each side of the road. The, the, the middle road is to say that this is meaningful. Christ has fulfilled it and we should observe it. And we should ask ourselves, how do we celebrate this now? And is the purpose the same as it was? Or has it changed? And I want to answer those two questions this morning. So let's start with the consecration of the firstborn. So God calls for Israel to consecrate unto him, set it apart, and sacrifice for the animals all the firstborn of Israel and the children to be redeemed. What's the principle here? Well, the principle is what you'll see in the Bible as the principle of first fruits. It goes something like this. God is the highest and the greatest and that's how he reveals himself as the I am to Israel. It's how he revealed himself to Abraham. And therefore, he deserves our highest and greatest. Does that make sense? This is an Old Testament principle that carries over even unto Jesus later on when Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees. He's saying that they're not giving their highest and greatest, but they're giving um, of their own religiosity. The things that they've chosen that they're pretty good at, that's the things that they say are holy. But the things that are really dear, near and dear to them, they have no interest in giving that to God. And that was one of Jesus' beefs with them is that you're not really worshiping because it's not really from your highest and best. 
And the Pharisees mirrored Cain in the first story of the Bible after the Garden of Eden, Cain and Abel. What you see is that Abel gives of the first fruits of his flock and Cain gives of some of the portions of the ground. And, and Cain's sacrifice is not accepted where Abel's is. And obviously, all of the commentators agree the, the answer to why, which could be multiple, but the primary one is Abel offered of the first and the best and Cain offered of some. You know, this would be like, uh, you know, in the Old Testament, you, you need to slay a lamb. And so you kind of go through your flocks and you're like picking out the one that, you know, which one's skimpy, you know, which one's got, you know, you got old lefty that has that left leg that's, you know, shorter. And so he always runs left, you know, that's the one we're going to take. And, uh, and we're going to kill that animal. And, 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 and we obviously, this principle carries forward. We do this too, right? It's like we, we give unto the Lord uh, our worship, but it's, it's what we have left over. You know, you always, if you ever wondered about the principle of tithing, it's the 10% on the front because it's God first and then everything else, right? That's the idea, first fruits. So God here is reiterating that. He is, they have just seen the plague of Egypt where the firstborn died unless they had the lamb's blood. And he's saying, consecrate to me the firstborn, animals or men, they're mine is what he's saying. Now we know there's a deeper meaning to this. We're gonna get to it. There's a second meaning though to this whole sacrifice to me with the animals. And that is that with sin comes a necessity for atonement. With sin, there must be bloodshed. We see in the book of Hebrews, it says, without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. And the reason for this, I wish I had tons of time to talk about it, but I don't. But very simply put, if we have sinned against a holy and righteous God as he is, holy, 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 you know, when the angels fly around the Lord, they don't, they don't cry out mercy, mercy, mercy. They don't cry out grace, grace, grace. They cry out holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And if he is that, then that means that sin must be punished because he is a just God and a holy God. And how do you punish someone for an infinite transgression? Well, there must be an infinite punishment or there must be shedding of blood, a substitute. That's the idea. And so with sin comes the necessity for atonement. And God says, I want you to take the firstborn lambs, right? You see this at the Passover. You see it later on with the sacrificial system. The first, the highest, and the best, let there be bloodletting. Now, God in his goodness and mercy, he permits for the shedding of the bloods of animals as atoning, but he says that, but the sons should be redeemed. That's key. Because God is making himself stand apart from the pagan nations like Egypt, who would sacrifice their children sacrifice their own children to their pagan gods. God will later say in the book of Numbers to the children of Israel, if anyone sacrifices their children to Molech, let that man be put to death. He says, and if you see someone sacrifice their children to Molech, then, and you don't put him to death, then I will stand against you. God's basically saying he, has, he wants nothing to do with this child sacrifice, but what is he setting up? He himself will be the sacrifice. How do we know this? Well, what did he tell Abraham? Abram, take your son, your only son. Take him on a high mountain and sacrifice him to me. And Abram takes the knife and he goes to kill Isaac in faith. And God says, no, I'll provide myself a lamb. He intends to do that, not just an animal. He pretends to provide himself as a lamb. And that's what we see in Christ. Now, what we see is that it's not just the firstborn consecration, but it's the feast of unleavened bread. Don't talk about this very often. And here's the reason we don't talk about this, because if we did this, you know, we'd be weird, right? It's like if you had to go through today, if I said, hey, guys, go home, uh, you know, I got to make the announcement about giving, and then I'm also like, and you need to get all of your Mrs. Bairds out of your, you know, kitchen, out of your pantry, you know. They literally used to take lanterns, and they would go into their houses to make sure that all the leaven was out. That's what they had to do. 
no leaven in the house. Not just you can't cook with leaven, we can't eat. Get it all out. It's an odd thing for God to call them to do, right? Well, what we see that is in the gospel, we receive the uniting of these commands, the complete fulfillment of these commands. Christ is the highest and the best man that ever lived. He is the God-man. He is the firstborn of all creation is what Paul called him. He is the ultimate fulfillment of the firstborn being consecrated. The firstborn, or the New Testament refers to him as the firstborn among many brothers, meaning because he's the firstborn, he has a lot of brothers and sisters that he also unites with him. And he was sacrificed as an act of worshipful obedience to the Father. He is also the atonement, both of these coming together. He is both the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and rather than Christ being redeemed himself by somebody standing in his place, he stands in our place. Does that make sense? And then, of course, I want to turn to, you don't have to turn here, the, the scripture should be behind me, but the unleavened bread, this is what Paul says about it in 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. And uh, I want to read verses 6 through 8. 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8. He says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Leaven is always likened unto sin in the Bible. Little sin leavens the whole crew. Verse 7, cleanse out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, listen to how Paul sees this, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Ah, he's making a connection here. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, here's the key, not with old leaven, Egypt, the leaven of malice and evil, Egypt, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So Christ is the unleavened. Remember when Jesus stood before after he fed the 5,000 and the Pharisees are questioning him and what does he say? I am the bread of life that comes down from heaven. I'm the unleavened bread. I'm the sinless bread. And you need to partake of the sinless bread so that you too would be an unleavened lump. That's the church. And that we would get all the leaven out. We get the Egypt out of us, not just us out of Egypt. Does that make sense? You know, we're not just all, you know, all waiting for, you know, Christ to rapture us out. We're also hoping that God will purge out this evil from us. That's the, that's the sanctifying call of the Christian. And Christ has fulfilled this in himself. And so what are the two ways now that we should celebrate? Well, I think there's two major ones that I want to go to the book of Romans to kind of flesh these out some. The first is this, and it has to start here. By faith, you and I are unified. This is called uh, the doctrine of union with Christ. We become, as Jesus said, as I and the Father are one in his high priestly prayer, he prays, make them one with me and one with one another. Now, this is not some Buddhist idea of like, we're all one. No, he's talking about a, a spiritual union, much like the spiritual union that you have with your spouse if you're married. You know that you are not actually physically one. The reason I know that is because you kicked your husband on the other side of the bed when he was snoring last night. Get out of here, right? The union is a spiritual union. It happens through the consummation of intimacy. And it's mysterious because we know that there's a oneness that happens. And Christ said this happens when we believe on the groom, Christ. When we believe in him, there's a spiritual union that happens that when God the Father sees us, he sees Christ and that we're one and the same. Now, that doesn't mean that you and I are Jesus. Of course we're not. It means that we are in Christ. Paul uses that language all the time. Like Noah was in the ark, you and I are in Christ. 
And that's a good that's good news, isn't it? Because it's rainy outside. So we become united. What does that mean for us? Well, it means that if Christ is the consecrated firstborn chosen by God, guess what we are as the church? The brothers, you know, the consecrated firstborns. We become those people, the, the ones who have a, here's what the Bible would say in the Old Testament, and Hebrews talks about this as well, the ones who have a heritage, a, a, a will that God has, a testament that he has to give us the inheritance because you're the firstborn with him. Why? We get the inheritance with King Jesus, with our our big brother, our, our consecrated firstborn. And check this out. When God sees you, since Christ is the unleavened bread and you're in him, guess what he sees you as? Not as the sinner that you were this morning when you honked too many times at the person at the light, but as Christ, the unleavened bread from heaven. And in your, through your faith and union with him, that's how we're seen in Christ. Now, we can't stop there, though, because sometimes what happens is we stop there and then we think, uh, this is what... Uh, you know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer would have called cheap grace. He says, like, man, Christianity's awesome. So you're saying I can do all the honking I want. Well, here's what the Bible tells us is that because the first one is true, the second one is nece- must necessarily follow, and it's this. Our lives are now set apart to God, and we are to offer him our whole selves in obedience and to live our lives sacrificially in worship. If you have your Bible, turn with me, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, I want to read verses 1 through 3. This is a very popular scripture, but it it lays out for us our responsibility as Christians who by faith are united with Christ, what then shall we do with our lives though? Well, Paul tells us. As you're turning there, let me give you a little background here. Romans 1 through 11, Christology, who is Jesus? What has he done? Who is Jesus? What has he done? What does it mean for us? Romans 12 through the end of the book, what then should we do about it? Paul often uses this kind of pattern, right? Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, what has Jesus done? Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, what should we do about it? This is the very first thing he says after he's just spent, Romans is like this theological treatise, man. It is like Wayne Grudem systematic theology on steroids. Paul is laying out. If you want to read Romans and, and then read it again and then read it again and then read it again, you'll never stop mining this guy's depth of theological understanding of who Jesus is and how he's fulfilling everything in the Old Testament scripture. And the first thing he says when he tells us what should we do about it, we're about to read. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. So he starts off like this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. That's A. I just mentioned to you the first thing, that we, how we should celebrate the Old Testament. The first thing. He calls us brothers and sisters, and he says, by the mercies of God, meaning that it's by the mercy of God that you have the station that you have united with Christ before the Father, completely blameless under no condemnation. And I appeal to you on that basis. You have to get this. If you hear what I'm about to say after this without getting that, you are going to think that works-based righteousness is the way of the New Testament, and it's not. He's speaking to you on the basis of your station that was given to you as a gift freely by God, not on your goodness as a merit, but on his goodness as the merit. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, do what? Here it comes. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's Old Testament talk. That's Old Testament stuff. This is not, listen, this is a Jew 
and not just a Jew, a Jew who is trained by a man named Gamaliel, a Pharisee of Pharisees, he calls himself. He's giving you Old Testament language. He says, you and I have become like the capital L Lamb of God. We are little lambs. Sacrificial offering is our life. Holy and acceptable. That's not throwaway language. That's Leviticus. What does the sacrifice have to be? Holy, spotless. How about this? Unleavened houses. The leaven should not be in your bread. It should not be in your pantry. It should not be in the corners of your pantry. It shouldn't even be in your travel packs in the wilderness. Holy and acceptable to God. Now, of course, he's also using this language because that's the same language he uses to describe our Savior. Christ was holy, acceptable, living sacrifice who died for us. Now check this out. If you ever wonder what is worship, right? Like sometimes we mistake this. Brendan gets upset about it and I rarely mention it. I think, you know, but is it song stuff? It's like Brendan's our worship guy. So it's like, oh, well, he does our worship stuff. We just kind of watch him with coffee. It's like, no, that's song worship. Really important. There's a whole book of the Bible devoted to it. This is your spiritual worship is what this says. Your life is worship to God. Your marriage is worship to God. Your parenting is worship to God. You got a job that you think is a secular job, and that's worship to God. You woke up this morning and you felt pretty secular. <laughs> Your life is spiritual worship to God. Now you might be like, well, pff, that's a little heavy court. I'm not all that holy. Remember how I started this. God knew that. The basis of this entire thing is recognizing what you and I aren't. It doesn't change what he's calling us to, though. He's bringing Egypt out of us just as he brings us out of Egypt. It's a path, it is a path to walk. Okay, verse two and three, though, they're gonna give you more to this. Paul's gonna give you more to this. Well, what is our spiritual act of worship? Okay, I wanna be a living sacrifice. That's still pretty theoretical. Well, here's what he says. Verse two, do not be conformed to this world. The old KJV says, to the pattern of this world. There's a pattern. There's a, there's a matrix, if you will, of the world that works a certain way that has grooves a certain way. You ever, want, you ever thought about the fact that you, to live as a Christian is kind of like going upstream? Like if you just wanted to live as a non-Christian in our world, it, it's easy. It's not all that tough. It's like everything's kind of working with you on that. For instance, here's, here's an example. Uh, we talked a little bit in our men's conference about uh, virtue and vices. So things like uh, one of our breakouts was lust and gluttony. If you want to eat as much as you possibly can, pick a spot. If you want to be gluttonous, it's like, okay, you and I will meet at CC's and it'll cost us almost nothing. You want to be lustful? You could legitimately go to the parking lot now with a technological device in your, on, in your hands. They might even email, they might be emailing you about it right now trying to encourage you to do that. The whole pattern of the world works this way and it's easy to conform to it. Conform doesn't mean that you even have to actively willfully make the decision to fight for it. It just means that like when you're on the lazy river, you get in the tube and you lay back. Crack, crack open a brisk tea, you know? <laughs> and, and it'll go with you. But Paul says, no, the spiritual worship, the living sacrifice isn't conformed to the pattern of the world, but is transformed, how? By the renewal of the mind. By changing your mind, seeing things differently. Now, you may say, well, it's hard to change your mind. The Bible tells us that it is Christ 
in his death on the cross, his resurrection and his pouring out of his spirit, the book of 1 Corinthians tells us that he gives us his mind. So this is his work that he does. It's not like you have to go to class and learn how to be transformed. No, he gives you a new mind, the mind of Christ, to see the world differently and to be transformed from the inside out. The old covenant was written on tablets of stone. The new covenant is by the spirit on hearts of flesh, transformed by the renewal of your mind. And then he says that by testing, that by testing, testing, testing what? Testing all of the things in your life as to whether or not they are the good or the evil. You may discern what is the will of God. What is, listen to these words. These are all sacrificial words. Good, acceptable, perfect. Those are, those are sacrifice type, type words. So what can we say when we read through the unleavened bread? The unleavened bread is not that you and I, one week a year, would go through our pantries and pull out our bread. It's that every single week of the year, we would submit ourselves to Christ by faith, thanking him that he knows that there's still leaven in the corners of our life and he's purging it out. And we are cooperating with him not to hide the leaven. We're not cooperating with Satan to hide the leaven in the closet. We're cooperating with Christ to find those crevices and get it out to live our lives as a living sacrifice. Another way to put it might be this. Our act of consecration as Christians is a lifelong consecration, not a once a year consecration. And it's not just for the oldest and the sibling groups. Like some of us could read this and be like, whew, glad I'm the youngest. Like me, my brother's older than me. I'm like, tough on him, yeah? No, it's that we would live our lives as a living sacrifice. At our men's conference, I was tasked with talking a little bit about prudence. And, and I basically summed it up to something like this, li living a life of worship to God, that we would reject our base desires uh, and exercise our will to accomplish the good as God has told us what the good is, to exercise what is right in our lives as far as God has revealed to us what the right is, the acceptable, the holy in the world around us. And I think that's the call here of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's this, it's this call back to, I with a strong hand brought you out of Egypt. Don't keep living Egypt type lives. I brought you out of there and I want to purge Egypt out of you. It's, it's a call back to the Christian to say, I saved you. Or as Paul says, I bought you with a price. That's what Paul would tell you. Paul says, don't forget, why do you honor God with your body? Because your body's not yours. You got an owner. Now, I got good news for you. Your owner is a merciful, wonderful, majestic savior. But nonetheless, he's bought you with a price and the price was his own blood. Okay, I want to end with this. And I think it's something that for us especially is very important. Is what we find laced in this entire command, both with the firstborn consecration and also with the unleavened bread feast is a call from God that this feast and the purpose of this feast in the Old Testament was particularly meant to create conversation with the next generation so that you would remind them. Part of this command is not just go into your house, bring the lantern, get on the leaven out. It's, and when your son says, what are you doing? You answer. When you take the firstborn lamb, the one that looks beautiful, the one that looks like it would get you a lot of money on the market, the one that looks like it's the next payday for your family and you kill it on the altar and your son says, why would you do that? You have an answer. Let me read to you verses 
8 through 10, and then verses 14 through 16, where God says this. In unleavened bread, he says, you shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me. That's why I'm doing this. When I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand. What is the sign on your hand? Teaching your son always in the way that you walk should be honoring to the Lord. As a memorial between your eyes, the way you see the world should be shaped by God's mighty hand and redemption. And that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth, praise and not cursing, blessing and not cursing, speaking life. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. It shall be a statute at its appointed time, year to year. Verse 14. And when in, the time to, when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to go, when Satan stubbornly refused to let you go out of his clutches, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. The Lord sacrificed his own firstborn to free you from Satan's bondage. This is what you should tell your kids. And therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb. Therefore we worship at the communion table because Christ is the final sacrifice once and for all. But all the firstborns of my son I redeem. Christ has redeemed his firstborn. Why do we have to go to church every Sunday, Dad? Why do we pray before we eat, Dad? Why do we take communion, Mom? Why do we baptize people and dunk them underwater, Mom? It's not enough to say, that's just the way it is. No, God tells us what we need to say. It's not just merely tradition, even though it may be a tradition. It's not merely tradition. It's more than that. It's where we say, it's because God has done great things for us, son. Because he saved me, son. I sing to him because he's worthy, son. He shed his blood for me and he shed his blood for you. This is our heritage. We impart the gospel through openly and honestly testifying to God's character, his power, his goodness, and his mercy. And, listen to me, and by commending a life of unceasing worship and surrender to our children. It's not just for us, it's commending that to them as their heritage. This is who you are, son. Listen to me. The world tells your kids every day who they are and fights you so that you can't tell them. And you are called here to tell them. This is who you are. This is your heritage. You have a God in heaven who loves you, who sent his son to die for you, who calls you even right now where you are before you ever have to trip up later. He's calling you. This is your heritage. You look at your daughter and say, you were loved by God. This is your heritage. It's not enough to stand against the world when the world tells you that they have the right to identify your child's identity or to rebuke your child when they become a teenager and try to define their own identity. We must impart their true identity as given to them by God. And this is, of course, much bigger in scope even than just physical homes. If you're not a parent in the room and you're like, yeah, this is really great for you know parents. Paul said this to the Corinthian church. You have many teachers, but you have not many fathers. I have become your father in the gospel, Paul says. A single man looked at an entire church and said, I become a father to you. Why? Why did Paul say? So that he could impart to them their spiritual heritage given to them by God. Even if they had the worst parents in the world, the heritage is God's given through Christ. 
And it's theirs to have. Peter stood up in front of everyone in Acts chapter 2 with people from all the different nations. And he looked as the Jews looked on in horror and looked at all these Gentiles and says, the spirit of God is being poured out and this promise is to your children and your children's children and your children's children. And he he didn't even have to look at their school records to figure out if they were worthy of it. It was theirs. And then finally, brothers, we're called, brothers and sisters, we're called to do this for one another spiritual moms and dads in the room to look at one another and remind each other of who we are. And that's how I want to close. I want to testify to you the goodness of God. And I want to do it according to Exodus. God, we do this because God saved me. I want you to tell your kids that when they ask you, why do we, why do we go to church? Well, it's the right thing to do. No, you do it because he died for me. He's worthy. He is worthy of more than I could ever give. That's why I go, you know, why don't we serve in the kids ministry? Oh, because I'm trying to be a good person. Eh. No, <laughs> because he died for me. Because when I, whenever, you know, whenever I still watch Passion of the Christ, I can't keep tears out of my eyes because the nails in his hands are real. That's why I do it. And it's because we don't say those things that our kids don't see him for who he is. Friends, we're meant to be magnifiers of the Lord not trying to make the glass more dim. And so I want to encourage you, this is who you are. If you're not sure you're a believer this morning, guess what? There's not even a registration booth for this. This is your heritage if you would but believe on the name. I don't need to know what you've done. I don't need to know your your life story. And the reason I don't is because I know my Savior and he welcomes you. And Christian, if you are a believer, this is your heritage. Don't be ashamed to give it to your kids. Don't be ashamed to look for anybody who would hear to give it to them. There's no greater gift you can give them. More than a great IRA, more than a great inheritance, more than some great book that you could give them, give them Christ. Look them in their eyes and remind them. Let me pray for us. Father, I am just so thankful that you sent your son and you counted me as unworthy as I am. You counted me as your own. A wayward man, a wayward sheep, loving myself, you found me and you brought me back. Thank you, Jesus, that even now, as the last dregs of Egypt still try to grip to me, that you haven't abandoned me. And I thank you that it's not just true of me, but it's true of everyone under the sound of my voice who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. And so now as we take of your cup, as we take of the bread, let us be reminded of the gospel, the broken body of our Savior, the shed blood. And let us be reminded of the words of Revelation that worthy is the lamb who was slain. He's so much more worthy. And let us not be ashamed to remind and share that with our children. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. Ask these things in Christ's name.